Thanks for listening to this message from The Block KC. The Block KC exists to help young adults build their lives on what counts. We believe that is Jesus and what God has revealed in His Word. We'd love to see you next Thursday, 7 p.m. at Lenexa Baptist Church. Now, let's listen to this week's message. Block Kansas City, how are we living tonight? There we go. Man, it is good to be back on a Thursday night. It's summer. Someone, does, does anyone know if there's actually smoke from Canada in the air? Can anyone confirm that? I've, someone's been telling me that, and okay. Someone, my fiance, I'd probably get in trouble for just saying someone. Uh, hey, we are so glad that you guys are here tonight. Like Harrington said, my name is Nick Swearingen. Uh, I'm a pastor here at Alexa Baptist, one of the directors here at the Block KC. Carrington, who's up here, if you all don't know her, she's actually our women's director. She's a phenomenal person and a huge asset to our team. So ladies, if you have any questions, you, you can ask Carrington. She's got all the answers that you could ever want. It's not true. She's got a lot of them, though. Uh, I don't start every story off like this, but when I was in high school... Uh, my dad, he tried to get me to start a car detailing business. He was trying to get me to be a little bit more entrepreneurial. And one of my few talents was that I could wash cars decently well. And I figured, man, I love just throwing soap on a car, playing some country music, washing it down. How hard could a car detailing business be? There is so much more to car detailing than just washing the outside. I don't know if you all know this, but I learned a lot about how to actually care for a car. There's these things called clay bars that you rub on the surface of the car to remove debris that's embedded in the paint before you wax. It's a process that takes about an hour and a half if you do it well. And then I learned there's more things that you have to do. You have to vacuum out the seats. You have to vacuum out the carpet of the car. You have to wipe down the leather interiors. I grew up in South Johnson County, a lot of leather interiors there. Uh, they also paid really well. Uh, you have to clean the windows. You have to shine the tires. There was so much more than my limited perspective of what car detailing was. As a result, when I actually got into it, I didn't last very long. Because I just thought, man, this was way too much work. Like, the first car that I did took me eight hours to finish one car and I got paid decently well, but for some reason, the money was just not worth it in my mind. I'm like, I would have rather been doing whatever I was doing at 15 years old, probably playing Halo or something like that. Uh, looking back, poor business decision. But uh, the reason I start with that is because in the same way, many of us have a limited perspective on work. We, we look at work. What's the first thing that we think of when I say that word work? What is the first thing that we think of? Whoa, okay. Just shout it out. Shout it out louder. Your job, right? I think I heard it. Your job. A lot of times, that's what we think of. We think of our jobs. Work is so much more than that. Work is defined in the dictionary. It's anything that you're using energy to bring about a purpose. We're going out and we're trying to achieve something. The Bible calls the idea of work, it's managing your affairs or managing your life or your household. And so it actually expands it out from your occupation. It means that it includes, work includes our occupation, yes, but it also includes taking care of our houses and our possessions. It includes taking care of our bodies. It includes volunteer work. It includes managing our finances, paying our taxes. It includes raising kids and preparing food for ourselves. And if that kind of overwhelms anyone, don't worry, we're gonna talk about all this tonight. We're gonna talk about how you balance all these things. Uh, but the reason why we want to expand our limited perspective on work is because we will spend, according to a study done by the OECD, 9.25 hours a day. That's 40% of, of your day doing a variety of the kinds of work that we just mentioned. Everything from housework to your job to taking care of your body to making food for yourself, that'll take 40% of your day. And then if you take out sleep out of that 40%, you're probably going to be working the majority of your waking hours throughout your life. And so if we have a limited or a wrong perspective and we think, man, this is really going to burn us out, 
for the next 40 years, which is probably when most of us will retire, we'll be spending 92,500 hours of actual work time. That's 16 years of the next 40 years of your life. And so if we have a limited perspective, if we have a bad perspective on work and all of its forms, that's going to be a bad 16 years. You know what I'm saying? We don't want, we don't want a bad 16 years. It's what most people call high school. <laughs> high school's not 16 years. Uh, hope not. As our culture has gotten away from the truth of God's word, like Carrington said, at the block, we believe that God's word is the foundation for a successful life in Christ. And we believe that success looks differently than how the world defines it. And we've seen that as our culture has gotten away from God's word, there's all kinds of negative patterns and outcomes that have come, especially as it revolves around work. In previous generations, maybe you saw this in your parents, maybe you saw this in your grandparents, maybe this is even you in the room tonight. Work is an idol sometimes. People look at it and you ask them, hey, how's your life? Everything revolves around your occupation. Everything revolves around what am I getting done? Am I balancing all the spinning plates in life? And for all those people, work becomes an idol. And it's the primary thing by which we define our lives. It's the all-consuming God of our lives. And this has resulted in absent fathers, absent mothers. It's resulted in unhealthy thoughts on money or possessions. It's resulted in a lot of burnout and stress that's not necessary. But then a lot of our generation, right, millennials and Gen Z in the room, we've seen a lot of that, right? And I think we kind of flipped the script, so we went to the other ditch. We just thought, man, I'm not going to care. According to a study done in 2022, last year, 54% of Gen Z workers, this was done by Gallup Research, they feel apathetic or unengaged in their jobs. 54% of Gen Z workers. Half, over half. And before the millennials in the room, whenever, whoever remembers 9-11, before we start to point the finger, according to a Gallup study done this year, only 30% of millennials feel emotionally or behaviorally engaged in their jobs. So give it another five years, Gen Z, and you'll be 20% uh, worse. <laughs> Y'all, here's the good news, though. This is not God's design for work. God does not intend for us to see work as a necessary evil or even as just something for us to tolerate as we go through our life. But it's designed to be a blessing to you and those around you, spiritually, physically, in all aspects of our lives. And so last week, Luke started off our real life series, and he set up this series. He looked at the fact that if we are followers of Jesus, we have freedom in Christ. If you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're investigating your faith, we're so glad that you're here with us. We're going to talk more about what that means to follow Jesus. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have freedom in Christ. And all of us as adults, we have freedom, right? We're not living under our parents' household anymore. We've gone through the college scene. We are out into the real world. But we don't want to use that as an opportunity for evil. We want to use that as an opportunity to love and serve others. And so here tonight, whether you're a Christian or not, it's my goal that as we look at what the Bible says about work, we would see that hard work is actually a gift from God. It's not something to idolize and it's not something to shy away from, but it's a gift from God to be enjoyed. Let's pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we, uh, God, I pray that even as we're talking about work, God, there's probably so many things that are on our minds as we come in here. God, I know that Oftentimes, even as I'm getting up here, God, I'm thinking about other things that I have to do. And God, I pray that each and every single one of us, God, would we be able to sit and trust you with those things, God, even just for the next 40 minutes to be able to focus in on you and your word. And God, would your word be the, the truth that rings out, God? Let it not be my words. God, I'm so thankful that you promised that your word always accomplishes what you intended to do. And so God, we trust that as you're teaching us through your word on work, God, would we respond and would our hearts be sensitive and humble and would we have a healthy view of work and how it can benefit ourselves, our walk with you and those around us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, tonight we'll be looking at 2 Thessalonians 3, 
For those of you who are not familiar with the Bible, 2 Thessalonians is in the New Testament. It's probably about 80% of the way through the Bible. You can flip there now if you've got a Bible. If not, uh, the Bible app is a great way to turn there. We've got some Bibles out back if you'd like to get a Bible. We'd love to equip you with one. And First and Second Thessalonians, Thessalonians, uh, they're written by the Apostle Paul to the church in ancient Thessalonica. That's in modern-day Greece. And the Thessalonians had actually heard about the gospel from Jesus, of uh, the gospel of Jesus from Paul and his team. And they had had a dramatic life transformation. It had been a city that was full of idol worship, a city full of idleness. And you begin to see a dramatic transformation that Paul describes as he's talking through these letters. And Paul and his team, they loved this church so dearly that they said that they had a sort of parent-child relationship. So you can imagine that this is a loving father writing to people that he sees as his kids. And he, you can imagine that he's saying, hey, this is how you walk with Jesus. This is how you experience the abundance of life and the eternal life that Jesus has put forward is by living out these truths that are in these letters. And Paul is now writing his second letter to the Thessalonians, and there's two big issues that he's addressing. One, they have questions on when Jesus is going to return. They're, they're all believing different things on when is Jesus going to come back? What's that going to look like? For those of you who love big doctrinal churchy words, eschatological values and truths were something that they were very confused about. Um, we're not going to talk about that tonight. We're not going to get into that as much. Uh, we're going to be looking a lot more practical, a lot more here on earth. The second reason why Paul wrote this letter is because a lot of people were real lazy. A lot of people were living undisciplined lives, especially in the church, and that was causing outsiders to view Jesus poorly. And they were seeing how these Christians were living, and they were thinking, man, that is not what Jesus seems to be about, and there's a disconnect. And so Paul is trying to address this in the lives of the Thessalonians. And 2 Thessalonians 3 is going to talk about idleness versus hard work. So starting off the context in verse 1, we're going to read that really briefly. Uh, it says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. So he's praying. Uh, he's asking them, hey, pray for the gospel of Jesus to go forward that people's lives would be drastically transformed. It's a great thing to pray for. Verse 2 says that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. He's saying pray that we're not persecuted as a result of the gospel. Verse 3, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Paul's saying, hey, don't be afraid. God is going to take care of you as, a, as people of God. He's going to establish you. He's going to build you a firm foundation, and he's going to guard you against temptation from Satan. And then verse 4 is where we're actually going to start off um, on this passage on work. It says, and we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother, any Christian, who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Point number one tonight, the Lord gives us the power and the pattern for our work. What do I mean by this? God gives us the power or the ability to work hard, and he also gives us the pattern or the example to follow as we work. Check this out back in verse 4. Paul says he's confident, right? He says, I'm confident about you guys. He doesn't say he's confident in the Thessalonians. He says he's confident in the Lord that they will obey the commands of Christ. So he's saying, I believe that God is actually going to be the one that empowers you to do these things. He says, may the Lord direct your hearts to loving God and standing firm in Christ. And he opens up then, and he starts talking about idleness. So what Paul is saying is he's saying, hey, may God direct you to this. And that's our goal tonight. This is not Paul saying, hey, white knuckle it and work harder and get your act together. That's not at all what Paul is saying. This is not a commentary like so many people would believe that we need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, that God only helps those who love to help themselves. Those are not true things that as a culture sometimes we can tend to fall into camp of. It's also not a policy on 
capitalism or communism or politics. A lot of people think, oh, work, that has to do with capitalism or different forms of, of financial ways that you run a government. That's not true. It does not make you a good person to work hard. Because God is good, we have hard work to do. And it's very important that we see that because God is the power that we're relying on. No one here is going to go out and fix their life by themselves. So we have the power and then we have the pattern. In verse 6, Paul commands, in the name of Jesus, we avoid Christians who are walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition or the example or pattern that Paul and his team gave. We've got the power and we've got the pattern. It's, it's really important that as we start, we see that God gives us the power and the pattern for our work. I'm going to say that a lot. Power and pattern. You guys can count how many times I repeat that. Uh, we need to know that God is the designer of work. We need to understand that God created us to work and he empowers us to do so. In Genesis, the first book of the Bible, God takes the first human, a man called Adam, and he gives him a job. He gives him work to do. Genesis 2.15 says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So God has created Adam. The first thing he does with him is he takes him and he puts him in a garden and he says, Adam, get to work. Work the garden, cultivate it. Begin to grow these plants and, and eat of the fruit of this garden. In God's perfect creation, before society has formed, before marriage has even been invented by God, God made us to work. This is core to who we are because God is a worker. When God created the world, it says he worked, and then it says he made mankind in his image. Do you know that you were made in the image of God? Whether you're here tonight and you believe the Bible is absolutely a lie, you believe it's craziness, or you're here tonight and you've built your life on the truth of God's word, you were made in the image of God. That's a truth that none of us can escape from. And as a result of that, because we're made in God's image, it means that we have work to do because God is a worker and we're made in his image. So if you know anything about the story, though, uh, you know that God made work to be a good thing, but humanity, we kind of messed it up. Uh, not even kind of. We really messed it up. That was understating it. Uh, Adam and Eve, they sin against God because they disobey God's commands. And so as a result, God places a curse on work. And he says, hey, work, which was at one point not hard, or not, uh, it wasn't full of pain. It wasn't full of toil. All of a sudden, work became sweaty. It became painful. It became full of thorns. It became stressful. It's not what it once was. And this is a reality. Work is hard, right? I think we all know that. You can, everyone know work is hard, right? We all get that, yeah. Uh, I've got a really funny story about this. Uh, I was playing with my four-year-old niece, Vivi. Here's Vivi graduating from pre-K. I love this picture. I think she's adorable. I also think she looks like Baby Yoda in this picture. <laughs> the soft smile and the big brown eyes. Uh, Vivi was playing ice cream shop, and I asked, uh, Vivi, could I have a double rocky road with sprinkles on top? Kind of pointed out to her, hey, these are the you know, scoops that are ice cream, and I, I handed some fake money on the counter, and she comes back with a single mint chocolate chip with no sprinkles. So not what I asked for. Obviously, we're playing, but I'm still in the back of my mind, like, okay, like, I'm her godfather. I feel like I should try to instruct her a little bit, so I need to teach her a little bit about customer service in this moment. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Viv, I asked for a double rocky road with uh, sprinkles, and she takes the money off the counter and just sits down and gives me this fake look of exasperation, just the most dramatic look I have ever seen and looks at me and shakes her head and just says, oh no, Uncle Nit, that would be far too hard for me to do. <laughs> I laughed really hard because it was funny and it was really cute. But even Vivi knows that work is hard, right? Even fake work is hard. <laughs> it's a challenge. And this is exactly what led some of the Thessalonians astray. They know that Jesus is going to come back. They know that there's an end to everything in the world. 
And the church was being very genuine and kind. Everyone was sharing things in common, so the church was feeding everyone. And so some people just decided, hey, my eternal needs are met, and my physical needs are being met by others, so I'm just not going to do anything, because it's kind of hard. I don't really want to do this. It doesn't feel good. I'm not enjoying this. So I think I'm just going to take a step back, and I'm going to walk in idleness. And that's exactly what Paul means when he says that phrase in verse 6. Walking in idleness, on this next slide, it, it uh, comes from the Greek words, ataktos peripateo. And it means to live an undisciplined life. It's, it's all Greek to me. That was a bad joke. Don't laugh at that, please. No one did, so. <laughs> Man. Uh, it, it's the idea, ataktos uh, peripateo, it's this idea that all of our daily affairs, our work, our home, our finances, our taxes, our health, our family, these are all included in our affairs. And what the Bible is saying is that if these people are living an undisciplined life, it means that they don't have these areas of life under control. That life is running them instead of them running their lives. It's this idea that they're not really paying much attention to anything. And they're just idle. They're just sitting there like a car in neutral. It's not going anywhere. It's not achieving its purpose. They're sitting in idleness. And this includes anything in our life that we view as work. Again, our occupations, and it's so important that we see this because, again, if we have a limited perspective on work, we are going to miss out on the full truth of God's word. We're going to miss out on that, so we have to expand this in our mind. The idea of walking in idleness or living in a disciplined life, it's not uh, just in the Bible that that's an issue. We all know that that's an issue for us as young professionals. And you might be thinking when I say that, Nick, are you calling me lazy? Like, hey, you're like, I went to college, I've got a job, I'm feeling good, I'm not lazy, and I am not trying to beat anyone up, I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad about yourself, I'm not trying to point the finger at anyone, but what I am trying to do is present the mirror of God's word to all of us in the room tonight, and the mirror is designed to show us areas of weakness, areas of flaw, and it's designed to challenge us. And so tonight, we're going to give ourselves some self-evaluation questions to figure out, is there an area of my life that I'm living in an undisciplined way? It's a couple of self-evaluation questions. Do I work hard when my employer expects me to, or do I zone out or scroll when I'm supposed to be working? Do I take, do I take care of my house or my apartment, or do I avoid housework so that I can have fun? Do I manage my finances and taxes with close attention or do I spend money however I want because it's too hard to think about? Do I take care of my health physically and spiritually or am I more concerned with comfort? Am I engaged in the volunteer work, whether it's in my church or community, or am I shying away from those things because I think that I'm more important? Because, y'all, these are all areas of work or stewardship that God has entrusted us to be faithful. Do we recognize it's a gift that we have jobs? We, it's a gift that we have places to live. Whether you're renting or whether you own the place that you live in, it is a gift that you have a place to lay your head at night. It's a gift that we have food that we can prepare for ourselves. It's a gift that we have bodies and spirits that we've been entrusted with. It's a gift that we have cars that we can maintain. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. But these are all gifts. These all enable us to live. These are things that allow us to go about our lives. And so we want to make sure that as the Bible gives us a clear pattern for not walking in idleness, that I'm not looking at my life thinking, man, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. I just, I'm not going to think about it. But we want to make sure that we're taking a careful look and saying, am I living according to God's standard or am I living according to the standard of the world around me? or the standard that I set for myself. And guys, I feel you on some of these things. If there was anything on that list that you felt in your heart, you're like, man, that, that stung a little bit, Nick. I didn't like that. I've felt it too. I, I really, I feel these things. Uh, it's a challenge. 
right? It's tough to sometimes want to take care of the house because surely my roommate's going to do it, right? Like the dishes, I don't know who those are, so I think he's going to do it. My roommate just laughed. We're not going to have anyone over, so I don't need to keep this place clean. There's so many challenges like this. There's another challenge. I was talking to our senior pastor here at LBC, and he was telling me that, man, it's hard for young adults to live disciplined lives because there's very little that's constraining us to work hard in all these areas. Our culture has set up this idea of delayed adolescence, and it makes it so that there's these areas that we don't really feel like we have to step out and discipline in. We don't really have to live these areas of life or these areas well. Take this for example. If you have kids, you better be working and managing your finances because you've got mouths to feed, right? You have people to take care of, and so that constrains you to discipline. If you've got a spouse, you better be taking care of yourself physically and spiritually because you have someone else that you're caring for. You better pay your taxes because you don't want to go to jail. You've got people to feed, Right? But for many of us in this room, if we don't have kids or we're single, very few people expect much of us in life. And a lot of times we internalize that and think, man, I do just get to do whatever I want. I can live undisciplined in some of these areas. All the while we think when the situation of life changes, I'll change. And there's a little bit of truth to that. But the reality is that laziness now will translate to laziness later. And it will be a lot more painful when you're having to talk through this with your spouse. And it will be a lot more painful when you've got kids who are crying and you've got to wake up in the middle of the night and you're sleep deprived. And so we want to learn these lessons now while we have the opportunity. And to say this again, the modern college campus does not really help us with a lot of these challenges. There's not really a lot on the modern college campus that teaches us to be disciplined in all areas of our life. They'll get us, hey, man, you need to come to class. Like, you need to be doing that. But outside of that, live however you want. You can live like a slob if you want to live like a slob. You can do whatever you want. You don't have to sleep. You don't have to take care of yourself. You don't need to invest spiritually. You don't need to take care of your finances. You do whatever you want. Luke talked about this last week. A lot of people treat college like that. Just, hey, go out and sow your wild oats. College is training us for what comes next. It's training us to be young professionals, where we're trained to become parents, to become spouses, to become members of families and members of churches. And this idea is just that for a lot of us, there's not a lot that's pushing us towards living a disciplined life. And so we have to say, okay, some of this, it might be my fault, right? Some of this, some of this idleness in some of these areas, I'm lazy, right? And I'm going to own that. Some of it, I haven't been trained. I haven't been disciplined to manage my life with idleness. And again, we're not trying to point the finger or cast blame, but what we are trying to do is say, okay, from God's word, if I've identified this area of my life, I haven't been living a disciplined life. I want to. Now what do I do? What's the next step? We're, we're not trying to leave anyone down in the dumps. What we're trying to say, where is God trying to guide us as he's growing us in this area? You've got two choices. Or two examples. We can either follow the example of hard work or you can follow the example of idleness. And the rest of this passage is actually going to contrast the two. Paul continues in verse 7. He says, For you yourselves know, this is an example of hard work, how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, listen to this, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Paul and his team were not just working the day shift, they were working the night shift because they loved these people so much. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you an example in ourselves to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So Paul's saying, hey, don't be feeding people if they're not willing to work. Not if they can't work, not if they're unable to work, but if they're unwilling to work, then they need to take care of themselves. Verse 11 is where we see the real clear example of these two pictures. It says, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. And we have this example of hard work and busy at work, and you have that phrase again, walking in idleness. And the scripture adds another phrase to it, acting like busybodies. 
The Greek word actually means to be around work, but not at work. One definition given for busybodies, listen to this, this is kind of harsh. It says to bustle about uselessly, to busy oneself about trifling, needless, useless matters. Used apparently of a person self-importantly inquisitive about other people's affairs. It's this idea that, man, I, I'm just going to go engage myself in stuff that doesn't really matter. It's not really going on in my life. And I'm going to be questioning, hey, why aren't you working? Hey, why aren't you living this way? Hey, why aren't you managing your house better? And you get in everyone else's business and your life is a mess. Your life is, is full of undiscipline. This leads us to point number two. The example of idleness gives no profit to ourselves or to others. What's one of the most common answers that we give as young adults when, we ask how we're, when we're asked how we're doing? Good? That's good. That would be nice. Uh, busy is what I was thinking. I feel like that gets said quite often. Um, I want to challenge this idea. I want to challenge the idea of busyness. Um, I think we're oftentimes busy with things that are needless and useless. We're going to talk more about rest next week, and that's going to be the other side of this coin. But I think if a lot of us looked at our phones and we looked at our screen time, I think we'd realize that there's more time in a day. And I think we'd realize, man, I, if I checked my how often I'm on Netflix or how many times I've seen The Office or Parks and Rec or Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I think I'd begin to realize, man, I think I have more time than I do. If we begin to take things out of our lives that don't really matter, and that's a lot of times what makes us feel busy because I've got things that aren't going well. And then on the flip side, this might be some of us, I don't know if this is you, but sometimes we can want to get into other people's lives. And it's not out of care or concern, but it makes ourselves feel better and it makes us feel like we're being productive. And whether that's celebrities or athletes that we look at and we think, oh man, did you hear about what happened in Tom Brady's life? Did you hear about what happened in Taylor Swift's life? I need to read five different articles about all their different relationship dramas because I need to know what's going on. Or we look at the other people around us, our friends, and we begin to think, man, what's going on in your life, in your life, and I need to know everything about everyone so that I can distract myself from my own life. And it's a common pitfall for Christians. Who Paul is writing to. It's so easy as Christians to put on a self-important mask and try to tell people, hey, you need to clean up this area of your life. Hey, you need to be more disciplined. But it's not done out of love. And it's done because we want to divert attention away from ourselves. And we like to, what Jesus would say, call out the speck in someone else's eye without first removing the log in our own eye. And it's not profitable. It doesn't help anyone. Because there's no example to call them to. There's no grace in that situation. And all the while, maybe this is you, maybe you spend time at work and it's not honoring God, it's not honoring your employer, but you're just on your phone. You're just stealing time. You're playing games. And it, so often we can go home and I want to zone out on the couch for hours because, man, it feels like I've had such a busy day, even though sometimes we don't really even work that hard. And we want to zone out because it just feels so stressful. And so I'm not going to take care of things around me that I should do or that I know I need to. And we just kind of think, man, I deserve this. Like I deserve five hours of TV after my work. I don't need to work hard in the other areas of my life as long as I've got one of them. But there's no profit in this. There's no benefit. And it might be you, it might not, but I want to tell you guys this. The Bible says that idleness and laziness is dangerous and even deadly. It says that it's a sin. And it eats away at our relationship with God and our ability to love other people. Again, we're going to talk about rest. I'm not saying you have to be working 24-7. That's not the attitude. Come back next week and we'll talk about rest. But we do need to look at what does it mean to not be idle. Check out what God's word records in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 13.4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. People who walk in idleness, they want a bunch of things, but they never feel like they actually get anything. 
Proverbs 15, 19 says, the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Laziness, if, if we're walking, then everything feels difficult. Everything feels that you're pulling through thorn bushes. Proverbs 19, 24, the sluggard buries his hand into the dish. This is a powerful picture and will not even bring it back to his mouth. It's the idea of putting your food into, or your hand into a food bowl and you're too lazy to even eat. Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. Kills him. It's deadly. I'm not saying this is true for everyone, but there is a real possibility that if in our lives, if we have constant cravings and yet come up empty, if we constantly feel like everything in life is way more challenging than it needs to be, if we have a hard time seeking rest or refreshment, even when we're around those things, even when we're putting our hands into the dish of restorative activities, then the reality is because it's because I'm living in laziness and idleness. And it, it may not be the case, but again, we want to look at this as a mirror and say, God, are you trying to point out any area of my life that you want me to grow in? Are you trying to help shape me in any of these ways? Because idleness is so common in the world that we live in. There's quiet quitting there's apathy towards our jobs, apathy towards our bodies, our homes, our families, our spiritual health, being cavalier with our finances. So many of these things can be a challenge, but they're examples of idleness, and the world is only going to continue to teach us these things. They're either going to say, make an idol out of work or make it idleness. But God has a different path. But we need to know, though, idleness is a real path that we can be on. It will eat away at us. Idleness will destroy our reputation. Think about it. If, if there's someone who's not willing to work, people know. Man, that person, they don't, they don't take care of themselves. They're always late. They, they never follow through on their word. It might be at work or it might be in your community. But idleness is, is dangerous. It can eat away at our work ethic. Anytime I'm lazy in one area of my life, I've seen this. Anytime I start neglecting one area, all areas become harder. Because I just think, man, I, just, I need to just kind of shove that one under the carpet. But it adds stress to my life. Because I know I'm ignoring it, even if it's subconsciously. But it distracts. And we can choose to live that way, but know that there will be a consequence. I'm guessing, though, probably all of us do not want to live this way. Right? And so how do we get ourselves out of following the example of idleness and following the example of hard work? And here's the good news. The answer is not to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We said it at the beginning. Uh, this is not a work harder and God will bless you talk. That's not what we're trying to do here. The Bible does not support that kind of theology. It does not support the idea that you just need to clean up your own life. Because we're relying on God to grow us, first and foremost, if you or I have been walking in idleness in any areas of the work that God has entrusted to us, all we need to do is go to God, confess it to him, and repent. And just say, God, I don't want to live this way anymore. God, I confess, I've been living idle in some area of my life, some area of the work that you've given me to do, and I need you to change me. No matter the cost, no matter how much it might hurt, and then you begin to let God guide you in obedience. And you begin to say, okay, what does God tell me to do? What does God's word command? And you begin to slowly implement that into your life as God uses his word to change you. First and foremost, that's what we have to do. And so we want to say that that's where point number three comes from. The example of hard work gives profit to all, both physically and spiritually. Point number three should be up there if, if y'all are taking notes. The example of hard work gives profit to all, both physically and spiritually. Paul continues on in verse 12. He says, Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. He says, Paul commands and encourages them in the Lord to work quietly and earn their own living. He's saying, if you've been one of these people who's walking, walking in idleness, or you've been living as a busybody, know that Jesus is going to come alongside you and he's going to encourage you. He's going to empower you to do this. And also know that he's commanding you, stop focusing on other people's lives. 
Stop ignoring areas of your life, of your work, and start doing the work that God has given you to do. And then he encourages the believers. And this is a word for some of us in the room tonight. You're like, man, I don't feel like God is trying to teach me in this. What Paul says is, hey, keep doing that. You're doing great. Keep going. He's trying to be a cheerleader and saying, don't grow weary of doing good. There's a story that I have to illustrate this. Uh, when I was in high school, another high school story. I don't know how this I don't know how this happened. I wrote this. I know how this happened. I think about high school too much. That's why, because I'm a guy. Uh, I ran track and cross country, and in gym class, uh, we had to wear these heart rate monitors. Did anyone have heart rate monitors in here? Just a couple, I see. Yeah, that was the worst. Uh, we had to keep our heart rates above 120 for the whole class. And my group of friends were not distance runners. I was a distance runner, as you can see in that picture. That's not, man, wow. Praise God. Uh, their hearts were not as conditioned as mine was. Um, and so to get their heart rate up, a lot of my friends would just shoot hoops. Not like play basketball. They would just like shoot three-pointers. And their heart rate would go way past 120. I had a friend who could jump up and down for one minute, and his heart rate would go up to 160 for the next 30 minutes. I was like, man, that's not good. <laughs> but I had to run because my heart was trained for this. And worse, my PE teacher was my track coach. And so not only would we have track after work, he would watch me in PE and say, Swearingen, you're not running hard enough. We had an upper track, and he would watch me as I was running to make sure that I was running as hard as he thought I should run, even though we had track like three hours after that. And my buddies, I'm watching them just goof off and shoot hoops. And if I would slow down, he'd say, come on, Swearingen, keep it going. Can I tell you guys, years later, I am so thankful that my coach pushed me. I am so thankful that he encouraged me not to grow weary of doing the work that I needed to do as a distance runner to be faithful with what I was asked. And in the exact same way, this is what Paul is doing. Because it can be so easy for us, professionally, spiritually, in our home lives, we can look around and we can see other people not working hard, whether that's Christians or non-Christians, and it can be tempting to want to slow down. It can be tempting to want to compare ourselves to others and think, man, I work harder than that guy. I work harder than that girl. Surely I don't need to be doing as much as I'm doing. Rather than asking God, God, what work do you have for me? What are you leading me to do? God's saying to us, no, 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 don't grow weary of doing good. Keep at it. It's good that we work hard and invest at our jobs. Do we know this? It's good that we work hard at our jobs. In 1974, Henry Blackhill said, every job is important, and every important job is worth doing well. Henry Blackhill was a manual laborer at a corn mill here in Lawrence, Kansas. And he saw his job of having significance. Every single job is important. It's important because God has given it to us, and it's important because it's needed for society to function. Every single job is important, and if a job is important, it's worth doing well. That's one aspect of the work. It's good that we engage in service work in our local churches if we're believers. It's good that we take care of our money and pay our taxes in our homes. As young adults who are trying to go in their faith, I'm very confident in this room. I really am. Because I see you guys come in here every single Thursday night choosing to invest in your faith. And I get to hear a lot of stories about how you all are choosing to honor God at your work. And you're choosing to work hard and you're choosing to trust that God is going to bring about some benefit. And I see you all working in your relationships and friendships and your finances and your living situations. Don't miss this, guys. Don't grow weary of that. I'm, I'm encouraged by this room in so many ways. Do not grow weary of doing good. Keep persevering. It's good work. We have so much freedom in Christ. We have so much freedom as adults to live how we want and so many people are using it to love and serve God and, other, and others. And that's exactly what we're talking about in this series. 
Walking in obedience to God's word will strengthen your relationship with God. Remember it said the path of the sluggard is like a path of thorns. But to the upright, it's like a level highway. Man, if we continue to work hard in all areas of our life, it'll be as if it's a highway. Laziness is a path of thorns. Hard work is cruising down the road. And you'll feel a burden lifted off of you, actually. It sounds counterintuitive, and again, this is going to partner with next week's talk on rest. I can't say that enough because these really are two sides of the same coin. We need to rest, and we need to rest well. But if we work hard in these areas of our life, I'm confident that the pressure of life that we know that we're slacking in those areas will be lifted off our shoulders. And then as you're doing your work, you can pay attention to the people around you. After we've taken the log, taken that's weird. Uh, sometimes I just like say that. I'm like, man, that did not come out of my mouth the way I wanted it to. Uh, you can pay attention to the, those around you. You take the log out of your own eye, and then you begin to look at the speck in the lives of your brothers and sisters. Paul continues this in verse 14. He says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. And it sounds harsh, but the reason why Paul is saying this is verse 15. Do not regard him as an enemy. But warn him as a brother. So you're trying to look at someone. If you see someone not working hard and you say, hey, I need to tell you out of love, just like Luke talked about last week, it's a spiritual work to restore other people. If we see someone walking in idleness, we courageously and lovingly go and tell them, hey, I see this in your life and it does not reflect Christ well. It does not make you know Jesus more. And I tell you this because I love you. And we don't let that person into the inner circle of our life. We say, hey, man, I, if you're walking in idleness, I need to take a step back from you. You can choose to neglect areas of your life, but I can't be around that. And again, it's done in a spirit of seeking to restore the relationship to God, just like Luke talked about last week. It's not a way of religious commands that you need to measure up and then I'll be your friend. It's not out of condemnation. God hates you if you don't work hard. It's an example of work in the local church. It's an example of what we're called to do. You'll have hard conversations. Again, don't grow weary of doing good. Solomon, he's the same man who wrote Proverbs. He wrote this truth in Ecclesiastes 2. There's nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and make his soul see good in his toil. There's nothing better. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? Y'all, do we know that God is the only source of enjoyment in our work? If you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're thinking, man, I enjoy my work, God has given you that. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we want to be thankful for the God who empowers us to get up every single day and go out and work to continue on in the image that he's made us to be. God is the one who gives us joy at work. We cannot miss that. It's a good gift. For application, for those of you who are walking in idleness in any area of your life and the work that God has given you, all you need to do is confess to God and repent. And you might not have done this at all in your life before. You might not be a follower of Jesus. All you have to do is say, Jesus, this area of my life, I'm understanding I'm a sinner and I need salvation. I need eternal life. I need forgiveness of this sin that I've committed against you by not living out the image that you created me in. And all you do is say, Jesus, save me. And he does, and it's free, and you don't have to do anything. And if you've done that, if you've made that decision, you can continue to confess your sin to God, and he's faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and to forgive you your sins. It's 1 John 1, 9. And then you ask God, help me start changing these areas of my life. Look at people who are examples, maybe people who are older in their life, and say, I, I see you doing this area well. How can I learn from you? What, what do you do to balance these parts of your lives, your job, your home, your family? How do I do this? I want to do this well. And then you start to implement those things. Ask God to give you a new sense of enjoyment in your hard work. If you're here tonight, don't grow weary of doing good. Keep asking God every single day, God, I'm thankful for this job. Help me keep honoring you. And then lovingly challenge the people in your communities that you see walking in idleness. 
to live according to God's word. And there's so much more that I could say with this. This is a huge topic, but I want to close with a word to all of us as the band comes out. Because let's be honest, right, as we're talking about managing all these areas of our lives, it can be very overwhelming. I, I recognize this just like everyone else. It can be overwhelming to sit there and think, man, I've got, I've got this, this, these taxes that are coming up, and I've got these finances. I need to t- take a look at paying my credit card, and I need to take a look at what's in my budget. And, I, oh, I've got this big task at work, and I've got all these different things. And it can be so overwhelming. And so to hear, man, this is hard, and you need to work hard, that can be kind of stressful. And I think that's why Paul closes with a good word for us in verse 16 of 2 Thessalonians 3. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Bow your heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, God, just trust that as we're trying to work hard, God, as we're trying to honor your word, God, we know that there's going to be times that this is going to be a huge challenge. God, we know that work is cursed, and so God, would you just give us peace? God, would you continue to empower us to work hard? God, like we sang earlier, we know that we know the end of the story. God, if we have a relationship with you, we're going to be in heaven with you one day. And we can trust that and be confident in that. And God, we know that you'll guide us there and you'll get us there every single step of the way. And so God, help us to rely on you as we seek to be young adults who are not walking in idleness but walking in hard work. And God, for for anyone in the room tonight who does not have a relationship with you, God, I pray for that person right now. God, I pray that you would begin to see, God, that in all areas of life we want to work hard except one, and that's trying to have a relationship with you. And God, that there is no hard work that we can do. God, I pray that all of us would understand the good news of the gospel. That thankfully, while you call us to hard work, you don't call us to work off our sin because we can't. God, and I'm thankful for that. God, and I pray for the person in this room who doesn't know you, would they internalize that for the first time tonight? That they don't have to do something to have forgiveness of sins. They don't have to do something to become right with you. God, all they have to do is accept your free, your free gift and rest in your grace. God, and then for all of us, all of us here tonight, give us the grace to go out and work hard. God, help us to rise above what our culture expects of us, what we expect of ourselves, and to look at what you've called us into. Help us to honor you in everything that we do. God, we need you to lead us in all of these different things. We need you to lead us in all the practicals and outworkings of this, God. And we just entrust that to you. Thank you for this time and this room that we can come and be honest and grow together. Would you continue to work in our hearts? Help us to sing and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.